all take a deep breath right now. You ready? It's going to be all good. It's going to be all good in him. It's going to be all good in him. When you don't know what else to do, just breathe. Something to that, the Jews saw the center of the soul, the word they use for soul is throat. Because <laughs> they saw that as the source of breath. And the ancient rabbis even believed that the name of God that was revealed to Moses, Yahweh, was made up of four letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Yod, hey, vav, hey. And the reason they believe God revealed that name to them, it was the sound of breathing. Yod, hey, vav, hey. That you can say it without moving your tongue or articulating your lips in any sort of way. That saying the name of God is as easy as breathing. Yeah. That when Adam became a living soul, it didn't happen before God breathed into him. So you're filled with the very breath and name of God. And you might feel like all you've been doing is sighing. But I want to tell you this. Every time you sigh, you're saying, Yahweh. Even at your weakest point, you're saying, Your very breath is a prayer. Maybe that's what Paul meant when he said pray without ceasing. You know what he's saying? Keep on breathing. Even though Satan's speaking death to you, keep on breathing. Because every breath is a prayer of God. Every breath is a prayer of God. Man. He's in the smallest of details. He's the all in all. It's not one place he hasn't touched. It's not one place he hasn't touched. Thank you, Jesus. You love him? Yeah. Man, I love him. I love him. Thank you. Whew, thank you, Jesus. You ladies that are praying, y'all continue to pray. You're not going to bother me. These altars are always open here. <laughs> God said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. I want to give you some hope today. Is that okay? I want to give you some hope. And really, I mean, I remember when God first called me to preach, the fear was, what in the world am I going to say? And now I've learned, what in the world am I going to cut out? Because bragging on Jesus gets to be pretty easy when you start to know who this great king is. <sighs> He's such a great king. He's such a great king. He's such a great king. Can we just take a moment? Just, just, just acknowledge his presence in this place. God, we breathe and rest in you today. 
eternity, what we're worrying about now, it's not going to amount to a whole lot. So God, we focus on you, our center, (laughs) the center of it all. Everything that was created was created for you, by you, to you, and through you. Everything that was made was made. You were there in the beginning and you'll be there at the end. That we can't escape you or outrun you. You're always there. We love you, Jesus. Amen. And amen. I want to look at Luke chapter 2 today. Luke chapter 2. And I was just hit with this thought of the life of Jesus. What goes on in Jesus' life. And, and how many of you know Jesus existed, not just to reveal Jesus, but Jesus existed and revealed who the Father was. So when we look at Jesus, we're not just looking at Jesus. We're looking at the nature, the personality, and the character of the Father. So when we dive into the life of Jesus, don't get lost just in Jesus. Like I was raised that like God was really mad and Jesus was like in a good mood. And so like we hid behind big brother to keep father from being mad at us. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I don't do anything unless I see the father do it. He says, I don't say anything unless I hear the father say it. Matter of fact, before he goes to wash feet, he says this. He gets up from dinner, and the Bible says that he thought about from whence he came. In other words, he thought about where he came from. So while at a banquet table, he starts washing feet. What Jesus is showing us so succinctly and so clearly is the nature of the Father and how in love the Father is with each and every one of you, and how far Jesus is willing to go to save each and every one of us. That this is what Jesus did by coming to earth. (laughs) It's that Jesus condescends from heaven. I want you to think about this. All Jesus knew was perfect love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were in perfect relationship with each other. Right? Perfect relationship. All he knew was the embrace of the Father. But the goodness of God was so stirred up in him that he comes down to earth according to the Father's will to bring us into that same relational dynamic. So we're learning something about what love is and what love does. Love always comes down. Love always comes down And love always goes to the lowest point. It's kind of like this. You ever heard uh, hitting rock bottom? Yeah. (laughs) I'll leave that alone. I'll leave that alone. But you know what I found? Is every time I hit rock bottom, I find out Jesus is the rock at the bottom. And when I land on him and I'm broken and I start repenting and I start giving my life to him, I'm like, and he's like, you know what he's like? I've been waiting on you to get down here. It's like Jesus is meeting us at the lowest possible place. And this is the theme throughout all scripture of the life of Jesus is that Jesus continues to keep going down 
until he gets up under the lowest place we could go to lift us back up with him into the arms of the Father. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to register all the empire for taxes. This was the first registration taken when Quirinius, I think I got that right, was governor of Syria. Everyone went to his own town to be registered. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, called Bethlehem. Because he was of the household and family line of David. He went to be registered with Mary, who, who was promised in marriage to him, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, I want to go a little bit further here, and I want you to think about all that God had to orchestrate to get them to Bethlehem. Okay? Like, it wasn't like Mary and Joseph, like, had a scroll, and they were checking the scroll to fill every prophecy. Okay, we got Jesus. Let's check the scroll here. Oh, Bethlehem. <laughs> Hurry. You can't give birth here. We'll break, the, we'll break what God's promise is. And some of us, that's how we live. We think that if we got to get the, the, the scroll out and then get everything just right, and then, and then we got to be at the right place at the right time, and God's like, no, 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 just follow me, love me, and I will put you in the right place at the right time. You don't have to figure everything out. Joseph and Mary weren't looking at the scroll, thinking of every way to fulfill every prophecy. They were loving God, being faithful unto him, not perfect people. People like you and me just had their gaze on God the Father and pleasing him and God puts them in the right place at the right time through something through the government that the government thought to use to control people he uses Rome to get them to Bethlehem uses Rome to get them to Zion y'all get over here we got a census thing going on oh okay the census puts them directly in the place that Micah foretold. <laughs> Not our Micah, but the prophet Micah. <laughs> that Micah foretold in chapter 5, verse 12 that said, Out of Bethlehem's going to come the Messiah. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, too little to be among the clans of Judah, for from you will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. That God uses all kinds of things to get us in the right place at the right time. So take the pressure off. Because if it was up to you, it wouldn't have happened anyway. Matter of fact, the less you know sometimes, the better off it is. Say, God, why am I in the dark on this? Well, you'll mess it up. And you'll lose the reward of pleasing me. Because without faith, we don't please God. 
So by God not showing us and telling us to walk by faith, we actually get the, prop- the opportunity to bring God pleasure. So a census, <laughs> an edict from Caesar brings the king to the birthing place of where he needs to be born. I want to tell you something. An edict from any Caesar cannot stop the kingdom of God. I'm just here to tell you. All it will serve to do is get us in the right place at the right time for the glory of God. This thing is already sealed. It's already over. Jesus is already king. He's already defeated sin. He's already defeated the nations of the world. We're just waiting for it to play out. So take some pressure off yourself. And just love God and fall in love with Him. And don't live in so much fear that you just feel strangled. What can they do? Kill you? That means heaven for those of y'all that are still caught up here. That means there. Anyway. I guess we're getting down to earth today for real though. For real, for real. Okay. Down to earth. So when I mentioned these words, down to earth, and this was the phrase I was hit with this week, we kind of know what that expression means. It means somebody that doesn't talk over us or down to us. But when we say somebody's a down to earth, we, they tend to be someone of higher standing that we think in our mind or a higher status. And we tend to think of someone coming down to mingle with us as they're probably going to think they're too good for us. But then when we find out that they're not too good and that they meet us and just speak to us as peers, it kind of puts a, it kind of puts a strength in us. We realize you're not just above me. You're coming down to me because you see something in me that you would call me a peer. So it's like when Jesus comes down, he comes down and he begins to live among mankind, not to speak down to them, not to speak over them, but to get on his hands and knees and be equal with them to say, I'm here and I love you. I'm coming to save you and I'm coming to rid the world of the governmental oppression and be the new king of the universe but I'm a good king who washes the feet of his subjects and doesn't ask them to wash my feet Jesus comes as low as he can possibly go and he keeps going lower it's kind of like that game at the roller skating rink remember when they do limbo you know, and the lowest I could get would be like this guy right here, right? Like, and say, push me, you know, and somebody. But then there was like the owner's daughter who would like do the splits, grab her ankles and like go backwards through it. And you're like. Setting Guinness records and stuff. And you're like. I'm not jaded or angry or anything. I'm just stating the facts. <clears throat> and I used to get mad at when people would say this like you're down to earth because I think when people meet preachers they think they ought to be like Moses or something or like somebody like 
super spiritual, but like we're just folk, okay? <laughs> like the only thing different is that God just put a calling on us to like do something different. But we all have equal callings. We, there's nobody of greater importance in the kingdom of God that we can throw around titles and, and different achievements, but at the end of the day, we're all children of God. We're all servants of God. I mean, it's just what it is. But I remember I used to get so offended by that because when I first like really got called into ministry, I, I thought it was my job to be the most spiritual guy in the room. You ever been there? I'm going to impress them with this knowledge and this piety I have. And you know what I found is people could always see through it. They could always see through it. I remember a mom came up to me, um, and I was hanging out with her son. We were spending some time at the, these guys remember that in the youth group, the skateboard park. We had like a row of people that we went out there and did some outreach, and, and uh, we got all these skateboard guys in there in church. And I got really close to one of them. And... Uh, and his mom came up to me and said, man, thank you so much for reaching out to my son. Do you know what he said about you? And I thought, probably talked about how much of the Bible I know. <laughs> probably talked about how spiritual I was. And she said, you know what he said? He said, you're so down to earth. And I said, that's what he said of all the things. I'm a heavenly man. <laughs> had one guy from, uh, we, had a, we hosted a group from Houston that came in and did some outreach with us at a church we were formerly at. And I was preaching the Sunday service, and after I, I preached, he came up to me and said, Man, after hanging out with you, I didn't think you were going to preach that good. Like, and see, people still think that. But here's the problem: is that here's the issue. See, the issues with y'all. No, I'm just saying. But but this is what people have in their mind. Like the pastor can't have fun. He can't be normal. And this. And then I think that's why the Jews miss Jesus. I think they missed him because they were looking for a stick in the mud who told kids to get lost. I think they were looking for somebody that didn't know how to have fun. I think they were looking for somebody that had no joy, who were the most sourpuss person you ever met. And because he was so full of life, and because he was so full of goodness, and because he was so full of grace and truth, they couldn't stomach it and they missed him. I think that. I think that. And I just found out, like, God is good at keeping us humble. Yeah. Right? I can remember one time I preached, and dude fell asleep, smooth, like, I mean, like, snore sleep. I mean, I know some of y'all kind of hit me with this one. But I'm talking about this guy had both hands on the, over the pews, and his neck went all the way back. And there wasn't a lot of people in the room either. Neck looked like a slinky. You know how a slinky can look like a Pez dispenser. <laughs> Thought that Adam's apple was a strawberry Pez just coming on out. Is that okay? Okay, we're getting on. Christmas. It's Christmas. It's 
So here's the definition of down to earth. Informal and easy to talk to. <laughs> here's some synonyms. Synonyms. <clears throat> Humble, lowly, unpretentious. Now who does that sound like? See, some of you can't even say it. Who does that sound like? So it sounds like Jesus was down to earth. <laughs> sounds like he was more worried about connecting with us than he was about showing how spiritual and brilliant he was. Who is more spiritual than Jesus? Who's more holy than Jesus? Holier, sorry. Who's more accessible than Jesus? See, I want to challenge our definitions of holiness. I want to challenge our definition of spirituality. Because the holiest man that ever lived attracted the worst fringe of the society. Because they were fascinated with how accessible he was. So I want you to know you hadn't blown it. You're not too far gone. You've not messed up so much that Jesus can't save you. Matter of fact, he's probably right there in the seat with you. Waiting on you to turn and talk to him. Yeah. Jesus' whole life was about coming down to earth. A condescension of God. God becoming flesh. Dwelling among us. But Jesus wasn't just down to earth. You know what I found is Jesus went lower than earth. He went lower than dirt. So when he came up, there's not one place lower than us that God hasn't been first. So that not one fiber of us or the earth wouldn't be touched and redeemed by him. The story of Jesus, even his inception is lowly and humble and doesn't make any sense. Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, is Jesus' cousin. And there's a man who's a priest by the name of Zechariah. Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, I believe. Elizabeth was old in age and barren. And while Zechariah is offering incense in the temple... And at this time, there was like thousands of these Levitical type priests. So if you got your turn to come up to offer incense or to do your job in, the, in, the, in God's service, you better do it because it might not come around again because that's how many Levitical type priests were in the first century. So here comes Zachariah's chance. And he thinks he's going in to light incense. How many of you know, you think you're doing one thing, but God's up to something totally different. Don't think you got God all figured out. You need to just get that over with, okay? So he comes in and offers incense. And guess what happens? An angel of the Lord shows up. God shows up. Like, isn't that what's supposed to happen when we worship him? But he's shocked that God actually shows up when he's supposed to. So this is showing us something about the priests here, right? 
There's irony here. Luke is painting a picture here of what the state of things were. So the angel man shows up and says, Hey, Zechariah, your wife's going to be with child. And here's what Zechariah says. How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. It's like you've had 4,000 years of history and encounter and relationship with God. And isn't that how the nation started? With Abraham and his wife? And you know what I've found is sometimes the people that are the most spiritual are the ones who believe the promises of God far lesser than one who just gets saved and doesn't know any better and just believes in the promises of God. I'm going to say, you want to see some miracles? You get somebody that's been saved for less than a year and have them pray for people. I'm just telling you. Man, somebody's been saved less than a year, those claps like that. Glad you're here. Pray for us. <laughs> so the priest doesn't get it. So they tell him, okay, because you can't believe, priest man, you're not saying anything until this baby's born. So here he is speechless while his wife is pregnant with the promise. So then we read a little bit further. God shows up in the room of a teenager. A female teenager at that. Shows up and says, you're going to bear the Savior of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm 13, 14 years old and an angel shows up in my room, and tells me something like that, I don't even know what I would do or what. But do you know what she says? She says this, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And wouldn't you know God would do this right before she's about to get married. God, you're not holding up to your own stuff here. Couldn't you wait it a little bit longer till Joseph could? But God's like, I'll enter into any situation at any time. And just because it's not the perfect time and the most convenient for you doesn't mean I'm not in it and doesn't mean I can't redeem it. Sick. God bypasses the priestly and finds a teenager. (laughs) It's like he keeps going a little bit lower each and every time. The teenage girl got it. The priest can't get it. It's like Jesus is saying, I'm going lower than you think I should go because that's where the treasure is. That's where the treasure is. And then we find out, where is Jesus born? His parents are having to carry and move miles 
no telling what the journey looked like. And then they get to the city. And when they get to the city, surely God has provided a place in the family's houses and whom they're related to to give them some room. And they get to Bethlehem and there's no room. There's not even room in the inn. Now when we read that, I want to give us some context. This isn't like there's an innkeeper like we see in like the Middle Ages, ye old inn or something like that. And, you know, and everybody speaks with an English accent. Like that wasn't how things were. This was in Hebrew, Judea. This was a different kind of culture. That the inn was the place you put animals in. That that word translated is very loosely translated. It does not mean like a hotel or like a bed and breakfast. This means that this town, Bethlehem, was so small that when the family came for the um, census, it was packed out. No room. That there wasn't even room for animals to come in. That the inn or the barn or the place you could maybe throw some people that were extra, the hide-a-bed, the air mattress, the garage with the heater in it, uh, whatever, it's full. So that Mary and Joseph take Jesus to probably what was a cleft in a rock where animals could seek sanctuary from storms. And Jesus is born in a manger. Now in Luke chapter 2, Luke keeps reiterating manger. He uses it several different times, not just here, but in verses 2.13 and I think another place. He, he wants us to know where Jesus is being placed. Because it's of great importance to let us know the humble beginnings of Jesus. So that we wouldn't get the story wrong and think that we were too low that he wouldn't come and get us. So he places Jesus, after he's born, into a manger. Well, what was a manger? A food trough. A place where animals slobbered and ate their food. <laughs> like this is where Jesus started. <laughs> he started in a food trough. Started in a corn crib. You didn't put babies in there. You put corn and old food and things that you were throwing out. This is where the king of the universe was placed. Not a royal cradle, but a common crib for the scraps of animals to be held. Do you know what I found is that the manger is not the lowest that Jesus is willing to go. From the manger, it's all the way downhill to the cross. Not because it gets easier, but because Jesus just keeps going lower. The Savior's life starts low and ends lower. The King of the universe, God in the flesh, is greeted by shepherds who are considered to be ritually unclean and couldn't even enter into the temple. But oddly enough, they were the ones preparing the sacrifices for the temple. <laughs> and it's shepherds and angels that get in on the birth of the king. 
And then several years later, we hear about these magi called wise men or kings, but they really weren't kings. They were astrologers. See, the gospel's painting a picture here of shepherds and astrologers had more chance of finding Jesus than the people of God because their heart had gotten so cold. That these magi, these astrologers travel years to go find a three-year-old and drop precious things at his feet. people of God weren't even aware that he was there. Be careful what you're looking over and what you pass over because Jesus just might be there. We hear about this in Matthew 25. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was sick, you, 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 you took care of me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And then the righteous stand up and say, and oddly enough, they're sheep. <laughs> Seems like the sheep know what their food is and where to find it, a manger. Sheeps go this way, goats go this way. When did we see you like this in prison? When did we see? And he says, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. So where's Jesus at? The least of these. So this Christmas, where should we be? She might be feeding Jesus down at the bus depot just to see what you're up to. Might be entertaining an angel just to see what's in your heart. Jesus, when did we see it? Oh, it was just the overflow of your everyday life, but I popped in and you just didn't see it. But you were faithful even when you didn't see me. So you get the reward. When his parents offer a sacrifice and they come to Jerusalem for pilgrimage, they offer a dove. What the dove sacrifice meant was is that they were too poor to buy a lamb. So here's Jesus. You ready? Manifests. And a woman that's just engaged, not married, travels, has to move around and all this stuff, never gets to get settled and set. When they do come in to worship into the town, the parents are of such humble means they can't even buy a lamb, they buy a dove. It's like Jesus is, it's like God is showing us, he's shaping the life, that Jesus should have been the greatest statistic that ever lived. But instead, he becomes the savior of the world. What's Jesus saying to us, saying to us here? He's saying to us, a man filled with God can overcome and persevere through any obstacle that you might face. I don't care if you were born out of wedlock. I don't care if you were born poor. 
I don't care if you didn't have anybody to tell you you got your loved and that cuddled you and everything else. You've got a God that left heaven and came down to love you and to nurture you and to be with you and to show you there's nowhere he's not willing to go to save you and pull you on out. But our king's down to earth. And then this 30-year-old homeless construction worker picks out a ragtag army of teenagers and 20-somethings and has the illustrious long ministry of three years. (laughs) Talk about against the odds, okay? (laughs) Against the odds. After this three years, the Savior's life ends even more. To the point of Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, says this. Who, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave if we think about it, a little bit lower than a slave, right? Because a slave puts food in the thing for animals. Jesus is the food for animals. That he would start his form even below a slave by looking like other men and by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But the only time Jesus talks about being lifted up is in Matthew chapter 12 when he says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And the Bible says that he said when I be lifted up because he was mentioning the form in which he was going to die. That the only time Christ is lifted up is when he's on a cross with king of kings, the king of the Jews over his head. And that's. And then in John 6, when he does the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, the Bible says that they go and try to run and make a king of him. And he hides. Because Jesus isn't going to be placed on the shoulders of anyone else. That the only way he's going to be exalted is to show what he's willing to do to save all of humanity. Say, my time of glorification is when they lift me up on that Roman cross. Jesus will not let anything lift him up except it be from the Father. (laughs) And after his death, guess what? No place to be buried. The king of the universe doesn't even own a hole to be thrown into. He's borrowed in a cave. And he doesn't stop there. In Matthew chapter 12, he he says that the people say, we want a sign to know that you're really who you are. And he said, well, here's the sign that you're going to be given, the sign of Jonah. And for three days and three nights... Instead of the belly of a fish, I'm going to be in the heart of the earth. In other words, here's your sign. 
I'm willing to go even to the heart of the earth, into the magma, into the core, into the very center of everything, so that when I come back up, not one part of this place won't be touched by my presence and by my power. It's like Jesus starts low and then goes to the center of the earth. Lower than anyone's ever been. (laughs) Why? So that when he comes back up to meet you on the way, he'll be under you to carry you up and present you unto the Father. (sighs) Jesus was born in a place meant for animal scraps. And soon we're going to be handing out communion. And communion kind of looks like scraps. Broken bread, poured out wine. Scraps. But as we take this communion, we're reminded that even though it looks like scraps, that little is much when God's in it. And these scraps born in a manger turn us into kings and priests that will be with him forever and ever and ever. So you might be looking at your life and saying, man, this feels more like scraps than overflow. I want to say you're in good company, my friend. Because in the middle of those scraps, if you'll just offer them unto God, he can make anything good. He can redeem anything that's put in his hands. And the kicker is he wants to do it. He wants to do it. Torn bread, poured out wine, body torn to shreds, and his blood shed for us. But that's not the end of the story. There's another half to Philippians chapter 2. If we pick it up in verse 9, it says this, that as a result, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. have our ushers come up and we're going to pass the scraps today because these scraps are going to take us to the right hand of the Father today, okay? God's in the humble, lowly, down-to-earth things. But He comes down to earth to bring us up into Him. Come on up, guys. I don't. Oh, got you. Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. (laughs) There's nowhere he's not willing to go. So today we're going to identify with these humble pieces as our ushers begin to serve at this moment. Because we know if we're faithful to Jesus and his life, we will rise with him.
You might feel lower than low, but he went lower to come up under you so you could rise with him. Baby boy 
scraps now, God, but it's a banquet table, <laughs> overflowing with food, the table of a king, <sighs> the table of a priest. We honor you today, God. No matter how low we go, you and Lord. that's not saved, don't take of this meal unworthily, the Bible says. Repent of your sin right now. Say, Jesus, you're the king. I make you Lord of my life. <laughs> There's no sin too dirty that he can't clean. Clean us, God. Wash us, God. In Jesus' name. We're going to go into our candlelight part of the service. And so you should have received a candle as you came in. If you did not, we have some ushers in the back with candles. Did anybody not get a candle? If you didn't, we want to get you one. What we're going to do, what we've traditionally done is we've lined the building um, on the outside, on the perimeter of the room. Um, I'm afraid that... We have more people this year than what we can do. So let's go ahead and make your way to the outside. If there's extra and, and there's no place to fit in, you guys can start in the, the outer row and make a second circle there. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. How about this? If you're 30 years old or under, you guys get on that inner circle. How about y'all make that inner circle? Come on, don't lie. You're in the house of God. <laughs> 30 and under, you guys make that inner circle. Yeah. You guys get, get together. Start lighting each other's candles. Thank you, Jesus. We welcome you in this room. 
We welcome you in this room, Jesus. We thank you for your presence, God. We thank you for your presence. Thank you, Jesus. Help each other light each other's candles. And this, it's symbolic to show love to one another as Christ has loved the church.
here's what I'd like us to do. Uh, if you've been saved for a year or less, would you blow your candle out at this time? been saved for five years or less, go ahead and blow your candle out. If you've been saved ten years or less, blow your candle out. If you've been saved fifteen years or less, blow your candle out. If you've been saved 20 years or less, blow your candle out. Well, got the pastor on that one. <laughs> if you've been saved 30 years or less, blow your candle out at this time. If you've been saved 40 years or less, blow your candle out. some saints up in here. <laughs> some of y'all feel with the Holy Ghost from the womb, I guess, here. <laughs> All right, if you've been saved 60 years or less, 50 years or less, sorry, I got, got chastised there. 50 years or less. All right, let's see what we got. Larry Hicks, how long have you been saved, brother? 65 years, you can blow your candle out, wow, yeah, hey, Miss Ellie, how long, I, I'm sorry, I can't see her, Miss Ellie, is that you right there, how long have you been saved, sister, how, how long, 74, wow, come on, come on, let's go, Bob Green, where are you at, Mr. Bob, somebody tell him how long, he, how long he's been saved, <laughs> They're doing the math. Miss Ginger? About 75 years. 75 years. Wow. That's awesome. You can blow your candle out. Miss Ellie, you can blow yours out. Ginger, how, how long have you been saved? 59 years. Wow. Oh, St. Brenda down here. How long have you been saved? 53 years. Wow. That's awesome. Dwayne, how about you down there? 52 years. You can blow your candle out. Miss Linda, where's Miss Linda? Miss Linda, how long have you been saved? 53 years. Miss Linda Houck, how about you? 55. The reason why I like to do this is I want people to know you can stay saved the rest of your life. Okay? We got some saints in here that have laid some tracks for you guys to dig into their life and to follow them. Miss Nancy, how about you back there? 60 years. Tina, where's Tina Jones? Tina, you're going to have to, don't hide it under a bushel. Somebody get her on that chair up there. Stand her up here. The candle. <laughs> how, how old? How long, Miss Tina? 74, man, isn't that cool? Miss Ann, how about you? 61. Rita, how about you down there? 72, wow. Tim, what about you there? You were saved from birth, I think. 52. 52.
52. Come on. Miss Dorothy, 55. Kevin, I know you ain't been saved that long. 53. That's awesome. Is that all? Where's that at? Oh, wow. It's awesome. Bill Brown. 59 years. Wow. So who do we have? It sounds like Bob and Miss Ellie were at 75 years. Anybody over that? I think that was the, the top dogs. So if you want some wisdom, just go anchor into them two right there. They'll tell you how to walk this thing out. Amen. Oh, yeah, let's sing. Sing one more. Oh, come